The scripture reading this afternoon will be from 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. 2 Kings 18, 1 through 6. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor he were before him. For he held fast to the Lord, he did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. have your Bibles turned to 2 Kings chapter 18. That's where we're going to begin our study in 2 Kings chapter 18. The divided kingdom <clears throat> was a tumultuous time in Israel's history. There's not a lot of bright moments in that period. It was a pretty dark time. As you have the northern ten tribes of Israel formed the nation of Israel. They never had a godly leader, never had a godly king. All their kings were very wicked and evil and promoted idolatry to the nth degree. Even the kings of Judah, the few exceptions were the good men that we're going to look at, a few of them. Hezekiah being one of them. But it was a time filled with idolatry and unfaithfulness to the Lord. And oftentimes, the children of Israel were given over to idolatry and because their kings allowed it, if not encouraged it. Sometimes it was the opposite, that the people were so enthralled with idolatry that the leadership, being weak or cowardly, they would not promote change for the good. And so it just created this endless cycle of wickedness and idolatry. God eventually would bring the nation of Assyria to wipe out the northern ten tribes of Israel, and eventually Babylon would come and take the two southern tribes of Judah into captivity in Babylon. But the, the bright spot in that story is that there were a few good kings in Judah's history, being from the line of David, preserving the messianic lineage in that sense, building expectations for a good king, a godly king. All the kings of Israel and Judah would eventually be compared to David in some form or another. Either that they were faithful like David or they were unfaithful. And they did not live up to the standard that David had set 
And these few good kings that we can read about, they are actually pretty extraordinary, where we're actually willing to label them as good kings, if not great kings, because they just stand so far above the rest of their peers in comparison. And one of the good kings of the southern kingdom was King Hezekiah. He's somewhat complicated at times, just as all the good kings are, because you eventually find out that there were some things that they might have excelled in. They might have been great in some areas, but then they greatly failed in other areas, as we all do sometimes. But his efforts to save Jerusalem, just from a pure historical uh, account, people still are in awe of Hezekiah even to this day from a historical and archaeological perspective as well as a biblical one. But what made Hezekiah a good king? Maybe even a great king. And among the good kings of Judah, he is certainly among the best that you could find. And we can see that I think he was such a good king because of several qualities, but we're going to try to narrow it down to four this afternoon. The first thing is that just his extraordinary leadership, that he became king and his whole rule and reign as a king was built upon this understanding that he needed to be obedient to the Lord. He embodied those ideals that he was supposed to promote, that he was supposed to live out himself in many ways. Just notice here in, the, in verse 3 of 2 Kings chapter 18, <clears throat> I think if any one of us could have this, these words said at our funeral or label, you know, engraved on our tombstone, I think we'd be pretty happy. Because in verse 3 he says, He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made for until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it and it was called Neheshton. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after Him there was none like Him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before Him. For He clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following Him, but kept His commandments which the Lord had commanded. I think one of the first things that makes Hezekiah appear as this good, if not even great king, is just the extraordinary leadership that he took on. He is following in the footsteps of his father who was reigning in Judah. In 2 Kings chapter 16, just a couple chapters earlier, we get a glimpse into Ahaz's reign. In 2 Kings 16 and in verse 2, it says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and even made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. That Hezekiah's father just promoted all sorts of idolatry and wickedness 
even willing to sacrifice his own son to an idol. And you think about growing up in that kind of environment, seeing that kind of example from your father. And then you're even more impressed that Hezekiah did the exact opposite of all those things. Because so many times our nurturing, the nurturing that we receive from parents and the examples that we see, that that shapes our life, that even when we see a bad example from a bad father or a wicked mother, like we end up oftentimes mimicking them and making the same sorts of mistakes that they do. But here is Hezekiah, he becomes king at the age of 25, and he goes and he removes the high places and the sacrificial altars for the idols. He tears them down. I think we can all probably understand that removing the evil is one thing, but establishing a different way, the right way, could be much harder and much more difficult. Yet notice what Hezekiah does in the book of 2 Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31 and in verse 1, notice what we have here recorded for us about Hezekiah. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31 and verse 1, it says, Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah, broke the pillars in pieces, cut down the ashram, and pulled down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin as well as in Ephraim and Manasseh until they had destroyed them all. Then all the sons of Israel returned to their cities, each to his possession. And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites by their divisions, each according to his service, both the priests and the Levites, for burnt offerings and for peace offerings, to minister and to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. What impresses me about that is that Hezekiah didn't go in there and doing all the hard work himself. And he encouraged other people, other Israelites, to come on and join in. That shows me that he had to not only embody these principles, he had to encourage others and promote godliness and righteousness. And that he had to convince people that they, what they were doing was wrong. He had to convince them of that, and then he had to demonstrate what was right. He broke the idols that Israel had made. And the bronze serpent that Moses had put out for Israel to look unto when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. That was never intended to become an idol or an image that was worshipped or revered. And yet that's what they had turned it into. And Hezekiah tears it all down. 
He was obedient to the commands of Moses. In 2 Kings 18 and verse 6, he clung to the Lord. How do you cling to the Lord? Well, notice, because he did not depart from following Him, but kept His commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses, that he kept the law. He kept the writings of Moses and the Torah, the, the, the first five books of the Old Testament that we have there. The instruction that's found in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the law there that we really get what was encouraged for Israel to do and to keep. That's what Hezekiah was reading. That's what he clung to. He was obedient. And in a time where that was frowned upon, where it was certainly someone in a minority, Hezekiah stands out, doesn't he? As someone extraordinary. I think what we see is that this becomes sort of a qualification list, if you will, for a good king in Judah. That they were obedient to the law and the Torah. They promoted religious reform. That they went in and they removed the high places and the the removal of idols. And then there was also a temple focus that we might see. Hezekiah doesn't have that much focus on the temple, but Josiah, as we might look at later, he is going to certainly lead a great deal of reform for the temple worship and restoring proper worship. Josiah is actually the one king of Judah that embodies all of those characteristics. Makes him... Perhaps one of the greatest. But when there is equally, when there is great disobedience, there needs to be equally great efforts to remove and to destroy whatever might be causing that sin. I think that's something that we need to realize. And that's what I've always appreciated about Hezekiah that he saw the wickedness, he, he took that as an affront to what was right. And he said, we're going to change this. And he knew it was going to take drastic efforts, but he knew what they were doing was wrong. And that he could not just be haphazard in this. He had to demonstrate something that was pretty radical. He had to give himself completely to serving God. Which is what God has always demanded and expected. In the book of Deuteronomy, I'm sure one of the passages that Hezekiah clung to, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That your commitment to serving God, it is something that is supposed to be your heart and your soul and your everyday life. It's not just something when you do when you come to church. Say, oh, I love God, I love Jesus. 
and we'll go through some worship activities, we'll pray, we'll sing, and then we leave, and that's it for the week. That's not what God wants. He requires of you something every single day. And not just part of you, all of you. What Hezekiah did was pretty extraordinary. We have to give every bit of ourselves to the Lord. Perhaps it's an older phrase that has kind of fallen out of use in prayers. I, I remember whenever we were living in, in Arkansas in, in Bald Knob, Brother Gary Moore, he would lead a prayer. And usually it was at the closing prayer or something, but he would always include this in his prayer. To wear us out in your service. I think that was a pretty common prayer back in maybe yesteryear. Maybe many of you still remember people praying that prayer. How many times do we ask God to wear us out and to exhaust us in service to Him? I don't know if I've ever prayed that. Maybe we need to bring that prayer back. <laughs> because that's what God ex expects of us. We have to be completely diligent in our service to the Lord. We see Hezekiah embody those traits in 2 Chronicles chapter 31. Turning back there, in 2 Chronicles chapter 31 and in verse 20, it says, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good, right, and true before the Lord his God. Every work which he began in the service of the house of God, in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. If that could ever be said about you and me, then I think that's a life well lived. We see his extraordinary leadership in leading the children of Israel out of sin. He embodied the law in loving the Lord. He learned from the law. And he encouraged obedience to God completely. But then you see his great confidence. If there is something that Hezekiah lacked in, it was not in confidence. In fact, we'll talk about some more of that and how that could have actually become a point of his weakness. But we see in his life that he learned to trust in God. He became king during the height of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were brutal warriors having great military success. They had defeated Israel, the ten northern tribes. And so you get Hezekiah who is reigning during this time. And he has the courage to not bow down to Assyria, to not give in, to not try to appease them. In 2 Kings chapter 18, after he becomes king, it says in verse 7, 
And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city, which is actually pretty amazing there, isn't it? That he's going to say, no way am I going to serve you, Assyria. You're not going to scare me. I'm not going to bow down to you. I'm not going to be a coward and just give in to your demands. And in fact, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to begin to push back. I'm going to try to get my own territory. Which would have been an affront to an Assyrian king. Trying to establish your own military dominance. Eventually, a new king came to prominence in Assyria. Sennacherib. And he came back to Judah and he began taking some of the cities of Judah. In 2 Kings chapter 18 and in verse 13 it says now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah Sennacherib king of Assyria came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. Then Hezekiah king of Judah sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish saying I have done wrong withdraw from me whatever you impose on me I will bear. This seems like a different Hezekiah, doesn't it? So the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Hezekiah began paying tribute to the king of Assyria to secure Jerusalem. Assyria besieged Jerusalem and began to antagonize Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem. Continuing on in 2 Kings 18 and in verse 19, you have this Rabshika fellow who is a very good kind of politician, the, the slimy kind, if you ask me. That's really good at political theater. It said, Rabshika said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What is this confidence that you have? You say, but they are only empty words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? Now behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who rely on him. He's saying don't trust in Pharaoh. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not He whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now therefore, come make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them, how then can you repulse one official of the least of my master's servants and rely on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord's approval against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Here's this fellow. He's trying to to convince these Israelites to follow after him to give in to the king of Assyria and his demands. Side with us. Since your God would not allow this to happen without his approval, don't trust whatever Hezekiah would do. He went and he tore down all the altars and the worship places that you could have offered 
worship and tribute to your God. Don't trust in Him. He's trying to fool you. And then you have Isaiah the prophet who goes and speaks with Hezekiah and offers some encouragement to him. Trying to help Hezekiah understand that in the midst of all of this political theater, that God has a plan for safety, protection, and deliverance. In 2 Kings chapter 19 and in verse 3, they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection. For children have come to birth, and there is no strength to deliver. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Continue on throughout this chapter and you see that Hezekiah begins to pray to God. In verse 16, he says in this prayer, Incline your ear. O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord our God, I pray, deliver us from His hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that You alone, O Lord, are God. Here, I think, is the pinnacle of his faith. That he is recognizing that there is no deliverance except through God. And isn't that the point that we've all had to come to in our life? When we've tried to do things our way and it didn't work out. When we had to simply submit to the Lord and His ideas and His plan and His Word. We had to have faith. We had to trust that God was going to work it out. Maybe it's those enemies that we've been putting up with and we've had to tolerate them. We have to trust that God's going to handle it on the day of judgment. That's what Hezekiah is having to learn. As you continue on in this chapter, we see that 185,000 of the Assyrians died overnight and Sennacherib returned to Nineveh. When things look bleak, when things look bad, we need to be like Hezekiah. We need to pray. Turn to God and pray. Pray without ceasing. We need to be people who have good courage. In the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, I love these words that Moses has as he is preparing Joshua to lead the children of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, and in verse 6, 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Having the kind of confidence that we can be successful because God is with us. Because God is with us and He is for us and He will not fail. He will not turn away from you. No matter what challenge it is that you may be facing, courage and confidence are not always natural. I think sometimes we look at leaders who, who just embody those kinds of characteristics and qualities. We say, wow, they were really courageous. Or wow, that was such... Uh, such a phenomenal kind of person because they have such confidence. What you have to realize is that it's not always natural, even for those who look like it's natural. Courage and confidence, they have to be learned. Sometimes we even have to pray for them because we don't feel like we have confidence. We don't feel like we have the courage that we need. Courage is found when we quit trying to lean on our own wisdom and our own understanding and skill and when we begin to place our faith, our confidence, and our trust in God Almighty. Hezekiah just shows us what confidence is. Leaning upon God for deliverance in times of challenge and times of crisis. Those are some of the positive qualities that we see in Hezekiah. More that could probably been extrapolated, but I do want us to see that Hezekiah also has some weaknesses. While he was a good man, a good king, perhaps even extraordinary or great, he also has some great weaknesses that we need to be sure that we avoid. We see his arrogance. His pride become a great problem for him. In the book of Second Chronicles, in chapter thirty-two, in Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-two, and in verse twenty-five. This is after Hezekiah became ill sometime later, after all the events that we just discussed with Assyria. It says in verse 25, But Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received because his heart was proud. God healed him and he did not return thanks. That indicates something, doesn't it, about his heart. Therefore wrath came on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. However, Hezekiah humbled the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come on them in the days of Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah had immense riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries for silver, gold, precious stones, spices, shields, and all kinds of valuable articles, storehouses, 
also for the produce of grain, wine, and oil, pins, for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds for the flocks. He made cities for himself and acquired flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great wealth. It was Hezekiah who stopped the upper outlet of the waters of Gion and directed them to the west side of the city of David, and Hezekiah prospered in all that he did. Even in the matter of the envoys of the rulers of Babylon, who sent to him to inquire of the wonder that had happened in the land, God left him alone only to test him, that he might know all that was in his heart. And in 2 Kings chapter 20, in 2 Kings chapter 20, that we really begin to see that pride that Hezekiah could be prone to. As I mentioned, he did not lack much confidence. Sometimes he might have had a little too much of it. But in 2 Kings chapter 20 and in verse 12, this is again after the time that Hezekiah had been sick and healed, it says, At that time, Baradoc Baladan, a son of Baladan, King of Babylon sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Hezekiah listened to them and showed them all his treasure, house, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious oils and the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. <coughs> Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What do these men say? And from where have they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasuries that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Some of your sons who shall issue from you, whom you will beget and will be taken away, and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he thought, Is it not so? If there will be peace and truth in my days? Can't you see his arrogance here? He has some people come to see him and he's like, I want to show you all the stuff I have. Look at all the stuff that I have collected. Look at how well we are doing because of me. And then Isaiah offers this rebuke and then he's saying, hey, that's not actually that bad because none of this is going to happen when, it, when I'm around to see it happen. It's arrogance to the nth degree, isn't it? And all of this is precipitating the Babylonian captivity. This was a Great test for Hezekiah, and he failed miserably. You should have been reading some of the writings of Solomon in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 11 and in verse 2, 
When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. Or in Proverbs 29. In Proverbs chapter 29 and in verse 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. When we want to brag about our achievements and our success, and when we begin to think we are unstoppable, or when we think we are always right, or when we know what is always best, we are guilty of the same kind of problem that Hezekiah had. Pride and arrogance. The key to overcoming an arrogant heart is to recognize God's hand in your life. And to realize how fortunate you are to receive the blessings that have come from God's hand. Something that Hezekiah certainly seemed to lack in moments of his life. And then, perhaps what might have been Hezekiah's greatest failure was not setting his house in order. In 2 Kings chapter 20 and in verse 1, it says, In those days Hezekiah became mortally ill, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And here you see that Hezekiah does show us some humility. He turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I have beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him saying, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Many times when we look at this chapter, we probably look at this and talk about themes of prayer and providence and those kinds of things. Those are good things that we need to talk about. But what I also want you to think about is that 15 years were going to be added to Hezekiah's life, okay? If you go to the next chapter, chapter 21, his son Manasseh becomes king. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. I'm not good at math. Fifteen 
years, and you have a 12-year-old on the throne. Fifteen years before Hezekiah is ill, that means Manasseh wasn't born at the time that Hezekiah was ill and sick unto death, right? There's a couple of implications about that that are pretty interesting. One, the line of David is at a critical point in 2 Kings chapter 20 when Hezekiah is ill. The line of David is in jeopardy there. That's interesting there. Because there's not an heir to take the throne. And then you have a second thing that's kind of interesting because you have this admonition, a very specific admonition. You need to set your house in order, Hezekiah. You're a great leader of men. You have led the children of Israel and the nation in a good way, but you've not looked at your own house. You've not looked after your own family yet. How many great men, even good men in the Lord's church, how many have failed because they were not attending to the needs of their family? You can be great in a lot of ways, but if you neglect your family, you neglected the biggest job that you have. Hezekiah still didn't learn that lesson that he needed to set his house in order. Because he would be the father of Manasseh who would reign for 55 years in Judah and do so much wickedness that it really couldn't have all been undone. And it was in Manasseh's reign that God was finally like, okay, that's it for Judah. Babylon's coming. And nothing is going to stop it. Nothing is going to prevent it. All the conditions were removed at that point because of how evil and destructive Manasseh was. What a wasted effort, even, I don't want to say a wasted life, but all the efforts that Hezekiah went through to undo all the things that his father had done just to neglect his own son. He did not prepare his own son to rule the kingdom of Judah in a godly way. I think it's easy for fathers to sometimes fall into the trap that the first few years of raising children should be sort of the mother's job. That once they become teenagers or at least able to help out a little bit more around the house, then maybe I'll take more, more of a role. That's ignorant and it's lazy. But it seems to be the mistake that Hezekiah made. You know, the age of your child is not an excuse. <laughs> Don't use it as one. You're a parent. You're a parent from the moment they're born. And they take that first breath and, until one of you passes. 
in your own age might be a hindrance. You might be a little bit older. Parents can get out of touch or outdated, or they could be a little old school, but they cannot be, afford to be out of touch with their children. Don't be that permissive parent that thinks if you correct your child that they will never love you. Don't be that overbearing parent that thinks all your child needs are the strict limits and structure. Yes, give boundaries, but don't neglect giving them the positive affection and attention and love that they need. Recognize what parenting is. That there, There's going to be times of tension. There's going to be times of strain. But if you're consistent and balanced and showing love, setting boundaries, and teaching your children about the character of God and the way that you live your life, then that's your job. And fathers, you need to be involved with your kids from an early age. They need to see that influence for good. Some of the statistics are interesting some are beginning to see that there is no doubt, this is someone else's words, there is no doubt that fathers are important contributors to child development. In particular, fathers significantly affect the development of sex roles, cognitive abilities, and achievement motivation. Fathers, you are charged by the Holy Spirit to teach your children, to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, in Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 4, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is your responsibility. Do not neglect it. Hezekiah neglected it. Correct your children when they demonstrate rebelliousness and they do not obey. Train up your child. It's one of the most important jobs you will ever have. Don't give all your attention to what's going on in this world. Don't give all of your attention to going on to what is happening at work or socially, politics and that kind of thing. Give your attention to your family, to your children. Teach your sons and your daughters to love the Lord your God with all their heart and soul and strength. There are several great kings we might think of that we might, we might certainly keep Hezekiah in that list. And while these good kings could do many great things, they could also fail spectacularly and in big ways. Hezekiah is an example of such. But I don't want us to just beat up on Hezekiah because he, like many of us, do great things but also fail in some spectacular ways. We all need God's forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of God. What we see in Hezekiah, I think the good certainly outweighs the bad because he shows us what it is to embody 
faithfulness and diligence to the Lord and serving Him. Clinging to the Lord. I love that phrase that's described of Hezekiah. And he also shows us some characteristics that we need to avoid. Let us look to the good. Let us follow that example of serving the Lord and trusting in God. This evening, if you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to become a child of God. If you have not demonstrated the kind of faith that you need to have in God, God is willing to forgive you. If you would demonstrate faith and come to Him in obedience, you need to be baptized in water. You can do that this afternoon. The water is prepared. We're ready to help you and encourage you to do such. Maybe it is that you have been baptized, but you've not been serving God faithfully. We want you to come back before it's eternally too late. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?